Hey, sweet lovelies. Welcome back to the Hormone Lifestyle Zone. I'm your host, Meg Ricci. If you're new to this podcast series, I want to welcome you. I'm so glad you can join me today. And if you've been one of my peeps that have been following me for a while, thank you so much for coming back again today. I want everybody to pull up a chair, get a cup of tea, relax. This is going to be an awesome episode. I worked really, really hard on it. I need to get an A+. I'm very excited about it. I also want to remind people that you can check out previous episodes on iTunes and Spotify, and you can subscribe. And if you like what you hear, give me a thumbs up. I also would love to hear from people about my podcast, and particularly today. This is a really super important one. I'd love your feedback. So aside from hosting the Hormone Lifestyle Zone. I'm also a woman's integrative health practitioner. I've been practicing for over 25 years. I've helped many, many women of all ages. I feel so honored to do this work along a path to demystify their hormonal issues and their struggles and the many things that dance in between for women in today's hectic, multitasking, crazy town world. So, That is what this podcast series is all about, helping you demystify the stuff that you're surfing on the internet late at night. How do I know? I get emails from a lot of women at about 11, 1 o'clock, 1.30 in the morning. And you may be surfing Dr. Google because you're not getting the answers you need to address your specific health issues and concerns that move beyond taking an oral contraceptive or taking an SSRI for depression or taking something for anxiety. As a result, many women, like many of the listeners here, you know, so many women I work with, hmm, you've seen three, four, five, six different docs before you end up calling me or someone like myself to get the help that you really need to get to the root cause of what's going on for you. So I'd like to take a moment and to let you know what I've been up to since last podcast and why this one's been kind of delayed. I moved to Atlanta about three months ago, and I had to finally succumb to the fact that I think it's time to get my acupuncture license here in Georgia. I had to get together way too much paperwork. That's what happens when you've been in practice for a long time and you've been licensed in four different states and had to get all this paperwork and recommendations and just old stuff that was literally like one document was sitting in the basement of some medical building in Baltimore and they had to find it and send it to the Georgia Medical Board. So I sent in a lot of paperwork and I got this email back And this woman said, oh, Miss Ricci, you need to add a little more information. We're not clear on the information that you provided regarding your work history. I said, I'm looking at what's missing. I thought they wanted to know how many clients I would see a week for acupuncture. So I'd written that in a few different places for New York and South Carolina. No, that's not what they wanted. They wanted me to actually calculate, approximate how many people, I performed acupuncture on 19 years in New York, New York City, and six and a half years in South Carolina. And I was like, oh my God, how do I do this? So I sat down with my calculator and I was like, 
I'm not sure. Did I treat 40,000? Did I treat 50,000? So I came up with a number that I thought was fair, and I'm sure it's probably higher than what I had put down, but it made me realize, my God, I have seen a lot of people over the years, and I've seen a small city of people over the years, and it's a lot of clinical experience. And much of what I do with women is based on those years of working with tens of thousands of women. God, I can't believe it. And those years of clinical experience has brought me here, brought me to where I am today and allowing me to share this with you on the Hormone Lifestyle Zone. So today, we're going to explore and chisel away at PCOS. And this is part two of a two-part series on PCOS, a modern-day epidemic. I would say now, and I think I said this in the past, at least 60% of my practice, and it's fluctuating, it's actually going higher, women are calling me with somewhere on the spectrum of polycystic ovarian syndrome. Please take a listen to part one. That's the previous episode. It will set the stage for today's conversation. Or you can go to my website, Marichichi.com, hit the pause button here and spend a few minutes and go to the What I Treat section, click on PCOS and check it out. I spent a lot of time creating that section because I wanted to create something comprehensive and cohesive, helping women to have a clear understanding of PCOS. So please check it out or you can check out the podcast and then come back and you'll go, oh my God, Meg, I'm so glad I did that. I am prepared for part two. Super excited to be here with you. So the best way for me to define PCOS, and you're going to hear me say this quite a few times, PCOS is a syndrome that is a state, it's a low grade inflammatory syndrome. It is a dysregulation of hormones causing anovulatory cycles, irregular periods, the presence of polycystic ovaries, and not for everyone, but there is the presence of insulin resistance for at least 80% of women, I think it's higher, that drives elevated androgens, such as testosterone, interfering with your ability to ovulate on a regular monthly basis. Why is this happening? Why? Diet, what sits at the end of your fork, major part of addressing PCOS. We cannot sidestep that or any health issue or any hormonal issue for that matter. Food is important stuff. It is the building blocks of your hormones coupled with the quality of lifestyle choices. How much sleep are you getting? What type of exercise? Are you exercising too much or too little? How are you managing your stress? There are a variety of factors. But what I see in my clinical practice, the integrity of your gut influences the foundation and the integrity of your hormone signaling. So what you eat, what you absorb, and how you absorb it, and how you eliminate influences your hormones and your hormone signaling. What is contributing to a low state of inflammation, aka PCOS? The question your doctor should be asking him or herself, why is this woman in an inflammatory state that is keeping her from having 
regular monthly cycles where she ovulates? What are the variables involved making her insulin resistant, elevating her androgens? This is what your doctor should be asking him or herself. So let's talk about dysbiosis and how this plays a part in PCOS. Because again, your gut is the epicenter of your hormones. If you do not have a happy, healthy gut, you are not going to have happy, healthy hormones. You can never separate the two. Dysbiosis is the imbalance in the number and diversity of your gut microflora, your microbiome. And in other words, dysbiosis is the imbalance of good, friendly bacteria and the overgrowth of opportunistic bacteria in the gut, in the GI tract. So dysbiosis is a catalyst for insulin resistance. It's a mechanism for PCOS. I tend to repeat myself, but dysbiosis, I'm just going to put this out. I've probably said it in the past. Dysbiosis isn't just about digestive issues such as gas and bloat and constipation and acid reflux. It plays such a significant role in the development of hormone imbalances in women. Dysbiosis can alter a woman's estrogen levels in a negative way. The microbiome plays a central role in the excretion of estrogen via an enzyme called beta-glucuronidase, which is produced in the gut. And when this enzyme is elevated, it increases a woman's risk for estrogen-related pathologies such as fibroids and polyps and PMS and breast cancer. With PCOS, women are in a state of estrogen dominance because they're not ovulating. And they don't have, they have this spike of estrogen never being met by progesterone because they don't ovulate. So what happens, you're in this heightened state of estrogen. I want to make sure that I'm detoxing those estrogens while helping you along a path to reestablish optimal hormonal signaling so that you ovulate. And when you ovulate, that follicle, that corpus luteum starts signaling the production of progesterone to balance estrogen. It's not there, you know, progesterone is, I, I call it the, it's the balancing hormone. Estrogen to me is like the little party girl. She gets a little crazy and she's very, very dramatic. She likes to bleed a lot and she likes to have heavy cramps and clots and she's just out there. I look at progesterone as the designated driver to balance that chick out. So we like progesterone because progesterone is very soothing. It is mother nature's Valium. So a lot of times when women have PCOS, they're feeling a lot of anxiety because they don't have enough progesterone to balance that estrogen. That's part of the picture. Dysbiosis is also the leading cause of leaky gut syndrome. So leaky gut syndrome, what is it? The cells of your small intestine, this is the area where you absorb the nutrients in the bowels. It's about 20, 22 feet long. The cells of the small intestine are held together by these tight junctions, sometimes referred to as gatekeepers. And a function of the small intestine is to allow proper digestion of food and absorption of nutrients while playing a crucial role in defense against pathogenic invasion. Zonulin is that gatekeeper. It's a nice little general that watches out for everything. When zonulin levels are elevated, 
Tight junctions of the small intestine loosen and become permeable like a cheesecloth. Too many generals. There are too many soldiers out there. And everything just starts to open up. Undigested, there are too many cooks in the kitchen. Maybe that's a better analogy. Undigested food particles and bacteria and toxins pass from the GI tract into the bloodstream, causing an inflammatory and heightened immune response. Leaky gut syndrome is the catalyst for PCOS. PCOS is that state of low-grade inflammation. It is a symptom of a leaky gut and dysbiosis. 70 to 80% of your immune system is housed in your gut. The leaky gut actually activates your immune system to interfere with insulin receptors, driving up insulin levels, making you insulin resistant. It also boosts testosterone production in the ovaries, leading to anovulatory cycles. Your gut microbiota combined with a leaky gut sets the stage in the pathogenesis of PCOS. So let's talk about now your sweet little liver. Your liver is so important. It is such a darling and it gets trashed so easily. Women with PCOS and women with PCOS with elevated androgens and an elevated BMI of 30 or more are at greater risk for non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. 80% of women with PCOS have a BMI that's 30 and above. And 34, I don't know where they get this number, 34 to 70% of women with PCOS, up to 70% of women with PCOS have non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. This is considered a hepatic hallmark for insulin resistance. If you have a fatty liver, you're on the insulin resistance train. And recent studies have confirmed that both insulin resistance and elevated androgens with elevated BMI are the key players of liver damage in women with PCOS. And if you have unresolved insulin resistance, elevated androgens and elevated BMI, during premenopause, menopause, and postmenopause, these same factors place women with PCOS at risk for cardiovascular disease that includes having a heart attack, a stroke, hypertension, diabetes, and many other metabolic and cardiovascular issues. Just by losing 5 to 10% of your total body weight will significantly improve insulin sensitivity and liver fat loss and lower your testosterone. You can actually lower your testosterone levels in like start lowering them in a one week just by changing your diet. It's that profound. It's amazing. So a healthy liver is critical to hormone balance. Your liver also has this enormous task of breaking down estrogen and secreting metabolites through bile into the large intestine, into the bowels for elimination. Your liver is key in clearing out excess hormones to maintain balance. It's like an important filter in your pool. You want to keep it open and clean. And the liver 
also produces cholesterol. You need cholesterol, the building blocks of hormones. So hormones like progesterone and testosterone and estrogen and cortisol. And also the liver has a lot to do with thyroid. The liver does most of the conversion of thyroid hormone from T4 to T3, and T3 is your active thyroid hormone. So we have to look at the liver. A lot of conversion with the liver, and it also takes place in the gut. All this being said, if we look at a conventional approach, women for PCOS, women have minimal options. If you're not having a monthly cycle, you're given a script for an oral contraceptive. Oh, and we'll call her Sally. Sally, you haven't had your period for a few months. Let me put you on the pill. Are you having acne too? No worry. I'll put you on the pill. Let me state the obvious. A birth control pill, what does it do? It keeps you from getting pregnant. It keeps you from ovulating. Why would you put a woman on a birth control pill if she's not ovulating? And when you do, when a woman is on an oral contraceptive, she has what's called a withdrawal bleed. It's not a period. A real period happens when you're not taking hormones and hopefully you are ovulating. So it just makes no sense. You're just masking a big problem. Then what happens when these women get off the pill, because the only option for PCOS is birth control. Then when this woman decides, Sally's like, I think I want to get pregnant and have babies. She's placed on metformin to address her insulin resistance, hoping that this will help her ovulate. And if that doesn't work, she'll be given the option of taking Clomid to force ovulation. And if that doesn't work after three rounds, then she'll be given the option of doing maybe some injectables. That's not going to work. And then, oh, Sally, you know what? I think we need to consider IVF. What's wrong with this picture? I'm like holding onto my chair because I'm containing myself right now so I don't whack my desk, hit my knee on the desk. This is where conventional medicine fails women with PCOS or any hormonal issue, but with PCOS, do you know why no pharmaceutical company has come up with a drug? Because they can't, because not one drug is going to address PCOS. Again, conventional medicine has failed women because there is no venturing into root cause resolution to figure out why someone has PCOS. I'm going to give you a great example. I think you'll chuckle, but it makes sense. Example here, you've got a car. It's making a lot of funky rattling noises. And I'm thinking of my old bomb before I bought a new one, before I came up to last year, before I moved up to Georgia. I got a really cute Mini Cooper. So I lived at Firestone. That car is breaking down all the time. They knew me. So what my mechanic would do, I'd bring the car in and he would try to figure out why is this car making a funky, rattling noise? This is very true. He'd pop the hood. He'd look under the engine. He'd put it on the lift. He actually took it out for a drive because he wanted to figure out what was causing the noise, as opposed to him saying off the cuff, ah, Meg, you need a new transmission. But auto mechanic Joey, how do you know I need a new transmission? Well, it's making this clunking sound, so I'm just going to assume you need a new transmission. Mechanics don't do that because that's common sense, and they wouldn't have a shop if they did that. 
Why don't doctors think like auto mechanics and figure out why a woman is not ovulating? I'm holding on to my chair because I'm so pissed. The underlying causes for PCOS in my clinical practice, taking a pause right now, nearly 99% of the clients, this is just my client base of PCOS clients, and it probably is for many others. I see that these women are somewhere on the spectrum with dysbiosis, leaky gut, and food sensitivity. But that dysbiosis and leaky gut, which is actually creating food sensitivity issues. I always, always consider the gut for everything, everything. I look at environmental factors. I look at mold, but I, I look at a lot. I look at the gut. I look at the gut and I look at what's causing a woman to have symptoms of gas, bloat, maybe food sitting on her stomach, feeling fatigue. You know, I have extensive intake forms. I will still ask people questions, even looking at those forms, because a lot of women have all these digestive issues and funky things going on, and they just think it's normal. It's not. And a big thing that people think is normal is bowel movement, how regular they are. So what I look at is I ask, why is this person having bowel movement issues? I have a lot of people who are having two to three bowel movements a week as opposed to two to three daily. Majority of women I work with are constipated. They're constipated, a small percentage are facing challenges of loose stool and diarrhea. Tremendous amount of constipation. Constipation is a part of the picture of why many women are not detoxing efficiently, why they're not our estrogen efficiently, why they're not absorbing nutrients. And I've got to address that before I do anything. So a lot of women coming in with all these different symptoms, I've got to make sure people are pooing. I have to make sure that they're digesting their food. I consider with these people, does this woman have small intestinal bacterial overgrowth where she's feeling very bloated at the end of the day? A question that I ask women when they come in or when I work with everyone telehealth. I say, does your stomach feel flatter in the morning and do you feel more bloated in the evening? And they'll go, yeah. And maybe that's one of the only symptoms that they have. I'm like, mm, that is letting me know that there's something is going on in the gut. I see a lot of small intestinal bacterial overgrowth see a lot of low stomach acid. I see a lot of undiagnosed H. pylori. H. pylori is a bacteria. It's actually a parasite that burrows into the walls of the stomach lining. 50% of the world population has it to some degree. But H. pylori can be seen with a lot of people that have GERD. I've had people with H. pylori where they've had anxiety and depression and eczema and psoriasis, and it was really no symptoms until I started asking more questions. And I realized these people had low stomach acid. So when you have this infection, I'm rattling off on this because it shows up so much, you're not producing stomach acid. Why is stomach acid important? It kills bacteria in the gut. It helps you digest food. Low stomach acid, I see a lot so frequently with women with constipation issues. You need stomach acid to signal pancreatic enzymes and bile. All these digestive enzymes, they dance and they work together. So it's very important that the stomach is producing optimal levels of stomach acid. 
also another cause with stomach acid. I have to take a look at, is this person deficient in B vitamins and zinc? Many factors. So as I said, many suffer from constipation, but I also have to take a look at what's the history for many women that are having dysbiosis and leaky gut issues where do they have a history of antibiotics? Have they had a history? I see a lot of UTIs. Have they had ear infections and strep? Did they have acne where their dermatologist was placing them on rounds of doxycycline for acne? Because they had PCOS, as opposed to taking a look at what they were eating and addressing insulin resistance. Another thing that I, I ask women, were they bottle fed? Were they nursed? All these things impact the microbiome. Were they a vaginal birth or a C-section? Variety of factors. You are what you eat. You are what you eliminate. You are what you assimilate. And the big kahuna is how to heal the gut to reestablish optimal hormone signaling. You can give, and I'll go through this after, you can give people chromium, you can give them myo-inositol, which I love, you can give people a bunch of supplements, but you have to make sure that they're digesting their food, that they're assimilating their food, and they're eliminating their food, and you got to make sure if there's bacterial overgrowth, you must address that. That is crucial, because otherwise you're going to stay in a state of inflammation. As I said, the big kahuna is how do we heal the gut to reestablish optimal hormone signaling? And it's coupled with diet. You want a really healthy food program. And I'm just going to bring this up because it's been coming up frequently. I'm not a fan of the keto diet for some women with PCOS. It's too low in carbs. I think that can be a stress on a woman's system. Not enough veggies. I don't think it's sustainable. And also for some women, they get off the keto diet and they put the weight back on, but also it elevates their cholesterol and not in a good way. And I've seen that frequently. I want women to be in a, on a food program that is sustainable. That being said, lifestyle choices and smart supplementation to address the gut and reversing insulin resistance and supporting ovulation and supporting healthy weight loss that drives down a woman's BMI in a healthy range and a multitude of other factors. So here are some of the recommendations that I include and some Meg advice as always. Many of you listening to this podcast have tried so many diets. You've tried things I've never even heard of, and they're just not working. You've tried tons of supplements with no long-lasting results. PCOS is really challenging. It's not a cookie-cutter recipe. And what? If you do A, B, C, D, E, you're going to resolve all these issues. It's not a one-size-fits-all protocol. What works for one person may be disastrous for somebody else. So here's a recommendation. Work with me or someone like me that understands gut health and how it relates to your hormones and insulin resistance and elevated androgens and healthy BMI and helping you avoid cardiovascular issues and a fatty liver and helping you maybe down the road prepare yourself for having a healthy baby 
without going down that Clomid IVF route, or if you're entering into premenopause or perimenopause, let's nip it now and address these issues so you're not at risk for cardiovascular disease, so you don't have a heart attack or a stroke. I think about these things. I think about these things when I'm working with women in their teens and their 20s because I'm not just thinking about where they are right now. I'm thinking long term. I want to set women up with healthy lifestyle choices and a food program that they can carry on for decades. Again, you want to work with someone who can walk you through a food program and guide you through healthy lifestyle choices that supports you in accountability. Accountability is big. I want to help someone or the practitioner you work with. They've got to help you lean into your wellness. And this is how you address PCOS with success. So some of the supplements that I'm going to recommend, I really love. But if you really want to tweak and hone in, find somebody to work with. You can reach out to me. Send me an email. Give me a call. We can talk about it. It's always find the right fit. You've got to find the right fit of a practitioner to work with. It's important. And when you do, it can change your life. I love, uh, I'm going to start off with berberine. Berberine is an amazing herb used in Ayurvedic medicine and Chinese medicine. I'll tell you a great story. I started using a product called Candibactin BR. And it was one of the tools in my, my, little, my little chest of goodies that I would use with people that were having intestinal dysbiosis and bacterial overgrowth and SIBO. So a lot of the women, as I said, when I started really honing in on PCOS, probably about 15, 20 years ago, these women had funky guts and I would do things to address the constipation and I, I would put them on Candibactin BR and back then, I was actually using inositol. And I noticed something really interesting. When all of a sudden, I'd have these women on berberine for a month or two, and their skin started to clear. And some of them started getting their period for the first time. And their insulin resistance, their A1C started to change. Everything started changing. And we, I was like, this is really interesting. And I didn't realize, and editing a lot out until years later, that berberine is more effective than metformin for insulin resistance. It is powerful stuff. So a lot of times when I'm using a product that's got berberine, that it's an antimicrobial, and I use that in combination with, let's say, myo-inositol with T-cryo, uh, D-cryo-inositol, I see astonishing results. So getting back to berberine, if you were berberine for insulin resistance, 500 milligrams three times a day. Again, I'm going to encourage you to work with a practitioner, but I love berberine. I love myo-inositol. If anybody was just to do one thing, I wouldn't recommend one thing, but if you're like, I'm only going to take one thing for insulin resistance and I'm going to change my diet, it's part of the picture, but at least it, it's, this product is a good start. I love Avocetol and it has myo-inositol in it and it's got D-cryo-inositol. Inositol is amazing stuff. It helps to improve insulin sensitivity and signaling. It can lower insulin resistance by up to 70%, which lowers testosterone. 
It lowers AMH. This is great for women who are trying to have babies. It helps restore ovulation. It enhances egg quality. That is extraordinary. So I just forgot Thorologic is the company that produces it. Just look up Ovacetol and you will find it everywhere on the internet. A few other things that I want to get back to that berberine does, it lowers testosterone, it helps to reduce acne, it lowers cholesterol, it improves non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. And again, as I said before, it's an antimicrobial. It's great stuff. I mean, I keep candibactin BR in my cabinet. So if I ever have like, I eat something kind of funky and my stomach is off, I'll take that for a few days and it'll clear it up. Vitamin D. I cannot say enough about the goodness of vitamin D. Low vitamin D can lead to dysbiosis. It can also be part of the picture for depression and anxiety. Vitamin D is anti-inflammatory. It enhances your immune response. But vitamin D, you want to make sure your levels are between 60 and 80, not 30. That is not optimal. In my world, that is deficient. So work with somebody who can tweak and get your levels up there. I just had somebody recently, her D was 12, and she was put on 50,000 IUs once a week. I am doing it differently. I'm giving her 10,000 seven days a week with vitamin K. I love K with D because it helps you absorb D more efficiently. Vitamin D plays a significant role in the integrity of the tight junctions of the small intestine. I see it a lot with leaky gut syndrome, and it helps to enhance those tight junctions so we don't get funky things leaking back into the bloodstream. Fish oils, yay to fish oils. Fish oils, anti-inflammatory, increases insulin sensitivity. And I highly recommend two to three grams daily. Again, I'm going to recommend the one that I like because it just, it doesn't taste funky. I like Nordic and I really like Metagenics. I think Metagenics fish oil is great. I like their Omegagenics 1000 EPA DHA and I recommend one capsule three times a day with meals. And when people say to me, oh, I can't do fish oils or vitamins, I burp them. Mm, guess what? It's telling me you might have some low stomach acid or something's going on with your digestion. You should be able to take supplements and not have them sit in your stomach or burp them up. So just want to let you know about that. Zinc is wonderful. It has been shown to reduce excess androgens. I love it for acne. And I usually recommend 20 milligrams twice daily with meals. And, oh yes, I use many different types of probiotics, but a probiotic with lactobacillus and bifidobacterium is what helps to detoxify and clear estrogen in the bowels. It helps to lower that enzyme of beta-glucuronidase that inhibits proper estrogen detoxification. I love a good probiotic. Metagenics makes a really good one. I like it. It's called Ultraflora Biome Pro. It's really lovely. And they have another one called Ultraflora Balance. And both of them have the lactobacillus and the bifidobacterium in it. And they are really, really good supplements. They make a difference. Oh, I left out one. One of my favorites 
It is a Metagenics product. I'm sorry. You know why? Sometimes, again, I find certain companies just make certain things that really, really work well. And I like Metagenics for certain things. I like Cellcore for certain things. I love Thorn. I love Pure Encapsulations. I love Numedica, Designs for Health. I use a bunch of different ones. But I really like Metaglycemics by Metagenics. It's got chromium picolinate and alpha lipoic acid. It's such a good formula. I have women take two in the morning and two at dinner. It really cuts those sugar cravings. And that's the one thing that women really seem to freak out about when they're changing their diets. They're afraid they're going to have those heavy sugar cravings and they may binge. And it also, it resensitizes your insulin sensitivity. I can't say enough about chromium picolinate and alpha lipoic acid, and that's what's in metaglycemics. It's just a wonderful, wonderful product. But again, I'm throwing a bunch of products out at you because I think it it would really would be helpful to have a practitioner kind of walk you through what's going to be best suited for you. I move things around. I put people on a few different things, and then I take them off and see how they do. So I also want to point out that I did mention in the last podcast that I would be talking about non-hormone birth control options. I don't have time today, but here's the great thing. I decided that the next podcast, I will be exploring natural cycle birth control. We'll talk about the copper IUD and other non-hormone birth control options and why it may be a better choice for you over hormone birth control, let's say like orthocycline or the Mirana ring, which I see a lot of anxiety with women and migraines. Because over the past two years, I've had many clients actually in their teens and in their 20s that have said to me they just wanted to get off birth control because they were experiencing depression and anxiety or low libido. You should not have a low libido when you're 21 years old. You should be a little like a little hot little bunny. It should be on your mind a lot. You should have a great libido. Your libido is also not just your sexual energy, it's your creative energy. And I'm going to go into that. It's like, what are you creating and putting out in the world? It's part of your mojo, that second chakra energy. And I'm rambling about it, but I'm going to go into all of that because your cycle is also a metaphor for what are the things that you want to give birth to each month, not the potential. It's also about the potential of a child, but what do you want to give birth to each month and put out into the world? So I will be having a great podcast on that. And my sweet lovelies, I want to thank you so much for joining me today in the Hormone Lifestyle Zone. I look forward to hanging out with you guys super soon. And you can follow me on Instagram. I try to get in on there a couple of times a week and do a video. And I'm at the Hormone Lifestyle Zone on Instagram. And if you would like to work with me, you can find out all my info and all about my services at MegRichichi.com. I'd love to work with you. But until next time, all my sweet lovelies, thanks for hanging out. I hope this was helpful. I had a lot of fun and a lot of felt really committed in creating a podcast that would help you have a better understanding of PCOS so you can take control of your hormones and turn your life around. So until next time, I send you sweet love, sweet kisses, and you are all a bunch of sweet little angels. Take good care. Be well. <laughs>